Welcome to this abbreviated worship service provided by St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais in Kankakee. I'm Pastor Mike Hanel, and I'll be leading today's service. Today you'll be hearing readings from God's Word and a sermon. We pray that this time, gathered around God's Word, would be a blessing to you. Thanks for joining us, and tune in next week for more. In our readings today, all of our readings have a very strong gospel focus. They talk about how we are God's treasure, how special and important we are to our Heavenly Father, that He spared no expense to make us His own children, that He freed us from the bondage of slavery, that He redeemed us, that He gives to us eternal life, and that there is nothing, there is no one, that can ever separate us from that love that God has for us. In our Old Testament reading today, we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, where we see that God makes this pledge to the children of Israel whom he has freed from Egypt, from the slavery that they experienced under Pharaoh. And even after that generation proved unfaithful, nevertheless, God proclaims that promise once more for that new generation about to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fiercest, fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the po power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. This is the word of our Lord. In our epistle reading from Romans 8, we hear this same love of God being stressed. Here the focus is that we are his and nothing will ever take us away from him. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ, shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, 
as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. The Holy Gospel now according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Once again, we hear Jesus tell some parables about the kingdom of God. And in the particular parables that Jesus tells here, it's a little bit open to interpretation as he talks about this great treasure, whether the treasure is the gospel that we are supposed to give everything for, or whether we ourselves are the treasure that Jesus laid down his life in order to purchase. Now, of those two readings, it's obviously the second reading, the second interpretation that, that is the, the gospel, that is the primary message that Jesus came to deliver. But it is only because that is the message of the gospel that that first reading, that Jesus and his kingdom is so valuable that we should be willing to lay down everything will finally make sense. In other words, those two readings kind of go together hand in hand, as long as you understand Jesus as the one who first showed love, who first laid down his life for you and for me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was late, late, let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you joined us for our worship services last weekend, you would have heard our readings really focus on the theme of love. And Pastor Copen's message urged us to hear again Jesus' command that we ought to love one another. And these are good words, good words for us to hear in any circumstances. But 
even more so, I think, in our current state of living. See, we need to hear that message that we need to love one another and that that love is not merely some feeling that we have in our hearts, but, but it is, it is concrete actions. It is our words, it is our deeds, it is us reaching out to the people around us. It is us hearing once again how God reaches down into our world, into our lives, and it is His love that gives us the love to share with other people. This is an especially important message in these times because in our current world, the temptation is all too strong for us to look inward, to draw inward. Rather than reach out to the people around us, instead we need to social distance. We need to have a lot of time and space away from other people. And while that may be true, we need to remember that even in those times, we are called to reach out in love, to maybe be creative how we do it, but to still show our love to one another, to show our love to the world around us. Because we all know the world we live in right now. I don't know if when this all began, how long you thought it would last. If you thought, oh, well, you know, at the end of the school year, that, that might be canceled, but, you know, give us a couple of weeks, we'll be back together. We thought maybe we would be back for services for Easter, for Pentecost. Everything would be back to normal, surely. But here we are, and there still is no end in sight, is there? And for a lot of us, living in a world like this, it's really like living in a perpetual state of grief. That we have all lost things, things that are important to us. Now, to different people, it might be different things that you have lost. At the beginning, some people lost those chances they had to get family and friends together to celebrate their birthday, to celebrate a wedding, to come together as family and friends in a funeral, to mourn the loss of loved ones. Maybe it was for our school kids and losing the end of the year festivities, the chance to say goodbye to their friends, to their teachers. Maybe it was missing those graduation ceremonies. Maybe it was missing the end of their high school or collegiate sports career. The list goes on and on. We've all lost something and some of us are still in that state of losing things, that, that things still aren't getting back to normal and we don't know when they will, and we experience that as grief. And if you've ever experienced grief from any other thing, maybe you are familiar with what that feels like, what that does to somebody. See, grief tends to isolate us. It tends to cut us off from one another. And when you live in a world where people are already sort of cut off from one another because of COVID-19, and then you compound on that your own grief, you start to feel really, really alone. 
See, the truth is, the way that we experience grief as people, it, it does make us feel isolated. Have you ever experienced that when you see something funny and when you share it with somebody, you might have laughed before, but you'll laugh again and you'll laugh even more when you share it with friends? Or when just a couple of you see something that's funny, you might laugh a little bit. But if there is a whole crowd of you that laugh, you find that your laughter increases, that it it becomes even more funny. Laughter is like that. It loves a crowd. But grief is not that way. When the tears come, when that lump hits your throat, you tend not to go deeper into a company of friends or family. Instead, you tend to pull back. Or maybe there is that moment when you let your guard down and somebody asks you how things are going or how you feel, and you let them know. You give them the unvarnished truth. It's terrible. It sucks. I'm in pain. I'm hurt. And I don't know how it will ever get better. I don't know how I will ever get better. And what you usually find out is that after unloading like that, people tend to be a little bit hesitant. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They might now be overwhelmed by your own grief, by your own negative feelings, And if you've been in that situation, you know there are no words. There are no words that are going to make it magically better. It's not going to just go away. And so we tend to be uncomfortable in those situations when people share their grief with us because we just don't know what to do. And for some people, that feeling of being uncomfortable with somebody else's grief might cause you to pull back from them. You know, next time, okay, don't talk to them about this. Don't talk to them about how they're really doing. Talk, talk to them about the weather or about the baseball team or about, you know, things that are neutral, things that aren't going to evoke that response. But when we do that, what happens is that we're no longer connecting with them. We're no longer showing that, that deep love and care. Instead, we're just there on the surface, just kind of hanging out. And they know that. They feel that. If you've ever been in that situation, you know that as well. So see, what what grief does, it does not just to one person, not just to the person who's experiencing the grief, it doesn't just isolate them and cause them to pull back from their friends. If you're somebody to whom that grief was shared, you also tend to pull back. And so there's this double whammy on our interpersonal relationships. That grief, which by itself isolates us, makes us feel alone, it really does make us more alone because other people, they just pull away. And what do you do with that? But the problem is that it's even worse than that. When we live in this world where we are experiencing grief and loss, and this is happening on an ongoing basis, it doesn't just affect our relationships with other people, it really does affect our relationship with God. Maybe you've got to that point where you start to wonder, 
okay, God, is it that time? Are you ready to come back now? Because it seems like it's the end of the world. I don't know how this year can get any worse. And then something new happens. Something worse happens. And you start to think, maybe God's playing tricks on us. Maybe God doesn't care anymore. Maybe God isn't listening anymore because we are certainly praying. We are praying for relief to come. We are praying for healing to come. We are praying to be rid of this disease and the problems that it is causing in our world. But here we are and no end is in sight. And so it starts to test our faith. It can undermine your relationship with God. You might even have on your own lips those prayers of the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Why have you left us alone? Why aren't you answering our prayers? How long, O Lord, will this persist? And that's when it really hurts. When the people around you turn your back on you. You understand it. Nobody's perfect. People will do this. This is just what people are like. But then, on top of that, when you feel that God himself has turned his back on you, it becomes too much. We lose all hope. We feel that this world is broken beyond repair. We are broken beyond repair, and we are cut off. Cut off from any kind of salvation, any kind of light, any kind of relief. It's to a world like this that Paul's words speak hope. It's to a people like us that Paul's words remind us that all of these things that we are experiencing and we are feeling in our hearts, that might be what we are feeling But that is not the truth. That is not the reality of our situation. For Paul proclaims loudly and clearly that God is at work. That God knows our suffering. He knows the brokenness of this world. He knows the calamity of our own sin and what it has wrought. But he doesn't just know it. He is a part of it. He is at work within it. And while he works within it, he's doing something that is unimaginable to you and to me. Paul says God is at work. And what kind of work is he doing? He's working good. He is working for the good In all circumstances, in all things, God is at work for the good. See, it's not just in the good times that God is at work, not just in the times where everything is full of joy and our lives are going really well, but it's even in these really hard times, these difficult times, that God is at work because he is is at work in all things for the good for you and me, for those who love him, for those who trust him, for those who believe that that God is not just abandoning us. He is not just merely not 
answering our prayers. We're not listening to them. In fact, it's just the opposite. He has heard our prayers. He is answering them. The problem is, for us, we often don't understand what the good is. If God is at work for the good, for those who love him, what is that good? We think we know what the good is. And that's usually where our biggest problem lies. Right now, we know what the good is. The good is getting our world back to normal. It's getting rid of this disease. It's going back to the way things used to be. But Paul doesn't say that's what God is up to. And in fact, if we look back in the Bible, if we look back in history, we know that that's true. The good that God is up to is not simply getting rid of all of our problems. It is not making this life as simple and carefree as possible. The good that God is up to might be things that you and I at first say, eh, I don't want that. Can I see what's behind door number two instead? Because the types of things that God is up to, the good that he brings, it might come in the form of developing our perseverance, developing long-suffering in us, further deepening our trust and reliance on him. Now, in God's eyes, these are without question good things. These are wonderful gifts that he wants all of his children to bear. But to us, when we are right there in the thick of it, that may not be the good with, we, that we want. That may not be the answer that we are looking for. And so we must trust our God. We must trust our Heavenly Father that he really does know best that he knows better than us, that we might pray for one thing and he will give us another thing. And while Satan might tempt us to think, oh, he didn't hear your prayer, he doesn't care about you, God works in our hearts through his Holy Spirit to show us how this other thing that he gives us, it is a better gift by far. Because when we try to define good on our own, we get into all kinds of trouble. We think about getting the last word. And when bad problems come in our life, when we hear the last word and the last word sounds something like this, your employer calls and says, sorry, the times are tough. We're going to have to let you go. Or the doctor calls and says, the test results came back, and I'm sorry to tell you the bad news. Or maybe in one of your relationships, the door is slammed shut. Or maybe the final word that we hear is not an audible word, but it is a visible one as we see the casket lowered down into the ground. And we think, that's it. That's the final word. Where was the good in all of that? But those are not the final words. 
God, our God, our Heavenly Father alone gets the ultimate word, the final word, the last word. And the last word that he gives us is a word of life. It is a word of peace, a word of hope, a word of love. It is a word that overcomes all things. And I want to I read this right out of the Bible because I don't want to miss anything. What did Paul say? What are all of the things that we sometimes think are the last word? But Paul assures us these are not the last words. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We sometimes think those are overpowering. Those are things that surely would get the last word in our life because what can we do against any of those things? But Paul goes on and says, no, those don't get the last word. In fact, we are conquerors. No, it's not just that we're conquerors. We are more than conquerors. In fact, let the world bring everything it has. Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You might think, aha, he didn't mention COVID-19, did he? He didn't mention unemployment, You get the point, though. Paul's not trying to list every last thing. He's trying to to think of what are the worst enemies? What are the things that we are the most powerless against? And he puts all of those things on the table, and he says none of those things, not one of those things, and not all of them together will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ that love that is in Christ, that love that is seen most clearly where Jesus himself comes into this world of suffering. Why? Because God knows our suffering. He knows the brokenness of this world and he knows that we are powerless on our own against it. And so Jesus comes. He comes into this world of suffering, himself to suffer, himself to die, himself to pay the ultimate price so that all of our enemies are conquered. So that in the end, all of those things that we think are so powerful will be shown to be powerless. We are more than conquerors because Jesus is that valiant one. Jesus is the one who has defeated all of our enemies and he has brought us into his kingdom. It is his love that brings us to the cross so that we can see all of those foes vanquished, so that we can see that God is present with us in our suffering, that we are not alone, so that we can see his love, that his love is not some mere feeling of his heart, but it is true action. It is so that we know 
that Jesus' love is relentless. It is so that we know that we are never alone. Because that relentless love that is shown in the cross of Christ That love reveals us for who we are and exposes the lie that we can live as self-sufficient people. That love of Christ exposes the truth in our lives. It exposes all of our sin. But at the same time, it points us to Christ, who is the Savior of all sin. It points us to Christ, who is the valiant one, who has conquered sin and death and the devil. It points us to that love that has become incarnate, that is here in his word, that is in the waters of baptism, that is in the bread and the wine, his body and blood. It is that relentless love that comes to us in a situation, in a broken world like this, a world of suffering, a world of grief, and looks us all right in the face. God is not afraid to come into our lives. He is not afraid of our grief. He is not afraid of what we have. He comes right up to us and he assures us, you are never alone and you never will be. Amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and risen Savior. Amen. Thanks again for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. You can continue to hear our online worship services on our website. Just go to stpaulslutheran.net and click worship on the menu. God's blessings to you this day.